For today's Fat Girl podcast, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Greg Lissandro, who's a criticalist and the chief of emergency and critical care at Emergency Pet Center. He's also the CEO of FastVet.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself so our Vet Girl audience knows who you are and knows a little bit about you. Well, thank you, Dr. Lee and Vet Girl, for inviting me to join your podcast today. I uh, want to just give you a little bit of a background on my career. I've been practicing for 22 years. It's only been the last half of my career that I've been really focused on emergency and critical care, and really the last eight years of my career, maybe nine years doing ultrasound. So I am a veterinarian that's been practicing for a long time and have adopted ultrasound as part of my practice, and I've really come to see how important it is and how much I've missed in the past without using ultrasound specifically in a discipline matter with our FAST techniques that we've developed. Fantastic. And I know that you've been pivotal in introducing a couple of techniques that have been extrapolated from human medicine. So I was going to start by just having you describe what the FAST ultrasound is, what it stands for, and where it originated from. Well, the FAST exam was developed back in the 1990s, actually by trauma surgeons, and it was used as a screening test in the trauma bay to pick up significant injury that otherwise would be messed on physical exam or delayed by advanced imaging that would take time to stabilize a patient and get to. Not only was it used though in the trauma bay, but it was used for post-interventional complications. And more recently, it's really taken off being used in non-trauma subsets of human patients, particularly those that have undifferentiated hypotension. So back in 2011, when I wrote a review article for Journal of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care, I proposed that we just take the T in FAST and change it to trauma, triage, and tracking. So then we incorporate trauma and non-trauma subsets of patients. Well, I guess I should step back and tell you what FAST actually stands for. It stands for focused assessment with sonography for trauma. But again, we added the triple T or the TQ to incorporate other subsets of veterinary patients. And the reason why we did that is because if you look at the human literature, it's very confusing as far as what exam was actually done. We've got all kinds of acronyms like F-FAST, H-FAST, slow beast, aces, fear, boast. It's really getting kind of crazy. But if I tell you I did an A-fast or a T-fast or a vet blue, the three techniques we're going to talk about today, you know exactly what I did. And that's why we've really pushed for adopting this type of terminology. Great. So when the original FAST was done, what position and what locations are we doing them in our veterinary patients? Wow, uh, Dr. Lee, that was a great question. Originally, the sites on FAST exams, it was a four-point view, and the landmark translational study that was done by Boyson and colleagues out of Tufts University, I named them by those external sites, xiphoid, left flank, right flank, and over the bladder. However, when we decided to expand upon Dr. Boyson's original landmark study, we decided to go with the target organ approach so that sonographers were actually thinking about what they were imaging through. And that's why we came up with the diaphragmatic hepatic view, the splenorenal view, the cystocolic view, and the hepatorenal view. So you're actually thinking about the anatomy of the patient that you're scanning. The other thing about positioning is really important. And lateral recumbency is how Dr. Boyson had done his study, and we stuck with that because lateral recumbency has some advantages. It's a lot less stressful to veterinary patients. And I think this is a huge point in that you should really think about what you do to a stressed dog or cat when you flip them on their back. Their most aerated lung fields are their dorsal lung fields. When you flip them on their back, you then shift it to these smaller volume lung fields, their ventral lungs. And then the other thing that you do is you really compromise their venous return 
because now what you've done is you've taken their abdominal organs and dropped them all on their vena cava. So when you have hemodynamically fragile patients and you flip them dorsally, it's not a good idea. In my opinion, it's pretty dangerous to do that. So we really advocate sticking with lateral recumbency for our fast exams when we do the abdomen. In compromised patients, we'll let their front end go into sternal and they thus can breathe a little bit better when they're in a modified sternal recumbency. But again, lateral recumbency is a lot more gentle on that patient. Great. And then when we're implementing the fast ultrasound and actually using it for the thorax, a lot of us call that T-fast. Can you describe also what position we're doing the T-fast in and then uh, from there go into what vet blue is? Thoracic fast or T-fast has been very misunderstood, at least in my opinion, because those that publish papers fail to read our paper and see that we actually perform it in standing or sternal position in respiratory compromised dogs and cats. And that's actually in our dog paper that we published back in 2008. When you do the thoracic fast exam, the other thing that's been kind of a challenge is not only the misunderstanding of the positioning, but also the frustration of trying to decide on what we're actually imaging, the glide sign and these lung rocket things that we, that we talk about. Um, but the glide sign is, is what we look for, and that's where the lung is sliding up against the chest wall. And when you see that, then you know that there's no pneumothorax. So we do it on the highest point of the chest called the chest tube site. We named it that way because most criticalists and emergency physicians or veterinarians are going to know where the chest tube site is. Lung rockets are your friends, though. They're these long, oscillating artifacts that are created when a little bit of air is next to a little bit of fluid. So in trauma patients, those are lung contusions to prove it otherwise, but they're your friend because if there's no pneumothorax, you can see lung rockets, and these things swing back and forth, and they extend to the far field. And they're really easily teachable to non-radiologists, veterinarians, that are practicing ultrasound. So moving on beyond the chest tube site, we've come up with that blue. So I'm kind of skipping around here and going to lung ultrasound. But I think that blue is going to really make lung ultrasound take off because instead of doing two sites with the TFAS, now you're going to do eight sites. And if you just adhere with the principle of wet versus dry lung, wet lung being a glide sign in these A lines and then wet lung being these ultrasound lung rockets, you can use a patterned approach for diagnosing respiratory conditions in dogs and cats. And we recently published a paper in vet radiology and ultrasound just this year validating the baseline frequency of ultrasound lung rockets and other artifacts in dogs. And we have that same analogous paper pending publication in cats. So I think the sonographer that's been kind of frustrated with T-FAST will find that VetBlue is a lot more attainable. And if your patient doesn't have pneumothorax, when you're looking at non-trauma patients where it's really not an issue, the wet versus dry one is a really good stepping stone to learning this technique. And then finally with TFAST, this is a loaded question, Dr. Lee. The parasternal views, echocardiography, we call pericardial views because we're surveying the heart and the ventral thorax for any pleural and pericardial effusion. And that can be pretty confusing to a new sonographer. And we're publishing a paper that'll come out in the Journal of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care, better clarifying how you can decipher pleural versus pericardial effusion. And the big point now with TFAST that wasn't in their original publication is that you have to use the diaphragmatic hepatic site because the muscular apex of the heart in pericardial fusion is really easy to appreciate through that subxiphoid or diaphragmatic hepatic view. And that is the number one view that emergency physicians use in human patients to rapidly rule in or rule out pericardial
endothelial fusion. And veterinarians using that view will be a lot less likely to mistake heart chambers for pericardial fusion when they use our AFAST and TFAST DHU because it's part of both formats. Excellent. And then I have a simple question when it comes to looking for pneumothorax in my trauma patients with ultrasound. I know you're exceptional at it. I'm not a great uh, TFAST ultrasounder. And honestly, I, I only really feel comfortable with FAST, but that's just because I haven't built it up. But when it comes to the glide signs, what intercostal spaces are you looking at? So that's a really good question, and we've learned in time how to eliminate kind of a frustration factor with trying to determine if the glide sign is present. So there's a couple tricks, and we've outlined that pretty well in our new textbook that came out and focused ultrasound techniques for the small animal practitioner. And I think it's pretty well detailed in the thoracic fast chapter, and we also have that blue chapter in there. So it's really the first time to tackle some of these nuances with lung ultrasound for non-radiologists, veterinarians, and even radiologists, because we've really tried to develop a terminology so we can expand upon that. But some tricks that we didn't know about when we first started looking at lung was the ultrasound beam, if you bounce it off ribs by making a one-eyed gator sign, really, really helps to look for the glide sign. So instead of putting the rib heads off to the side, so it's a two-eyed gator looking at you over the water, which is the analogy that we've used, move the rib head to the center of your field. And you can see the glide sign a lot better because the echoes are distributed a lot differently along that bright white line where the line should be up against the chest wall. So that's one trick. The other trick that we've learned in time that's outlined in our textbook chapter two is looking for the lung point. So Dr. Lee, if you're looking at the chest tube site, which is between the eighth and ninth intercostal space directly above the xiphoid, and you are wondering if there is a pneumothorax and you think there could be, then drop your probe down to the middle third of the thorax and look for the glide sign and then drop it down to the lower third of the thorax and then start moving up so you can semi-quantitate the degree of pneumothorax by doing that and see if you can pick up a glide sign. If you can't anywhere on that side and you go to the other side, you can easily see the glide sign with your same settings. Then you convince yourself that there really is a pneumothorax on the side that you started on. And again, I can't overemphasize how the one-eyed gator sign works really well. So once I see a glide sign using the one-eyed gator, then I'll go to my intercostal space, and then we start counting lung rockets and other pathology in that space at that location. Great. Thank you. How do you implement this in the emergency patient? With trauma cases, do you automatically implement the vet blue, or once they're stabilized, do you end up getting chest radiographs anyway? Well, that's a really good question. It is a very good question. The way we use our ultrasound program now, and you talk about this when you talk about, I think, the top 10 mistakes in the ER and you talk about not doing your quick assessment test. Well, really our quick assessment test in this day and age should be at least an abdominal fast exam because you can always use the DHU and look into the pleural and pericardial spaces. So at least you're looking for pleural and pericardial effusion if you're most comfortable with the abdominal fast exam. So our ultrasound is set up right in the triage area and it's ready to boot up and we have templated goal-directed recordings that we use in our medical records. And I think that's really key too, because then it makes you adhere to a disciplined approach when you do any of these three techniques, because you must enter uh, what you see at all those sites. And it creates a standard for your practice where everybody's doing it the exact same way. And that includes our abdominal fluid scoring system. And this podcast of seven to 10 minutes can incorporate everything that we could talk about today. But this is really exciting that you've invited me to do this. But that's where we have ours. 
and, and again, my feeling at this point is it really should be part of any ain't doing right case that comes in. It should be part of your quick assessment test. And certainly with trauma, we're right there at the triage table, scanning all those patients too. So within minutes of presentation. Great information. Just out of curiosity, what do you think the average charge is for TFAST or or for the Vet Blue? Just because I, you know, we're not charging even at the specialty clinic I work at, we're not charging a full abdominal ultrasound or full echo. But I do agree that it is something that needs to be documented in the medical record. I do think it's an important diagnostic test because it improves our quality of care and gives you an instant list of differentials for what's causing that underlying pleural effusion or abdominal effusion. But in general, what do you recommend charging for abbreviated ultrasound like that? Well, I think coming up with a number probably isn't appropriate. The best way, I think, to look at it is what do you charge for your quick assessment test? And our TAS exam fee is pretty comparable to that. It's not as much as a radiograph, and we charge for two views as our base fee. So it's under what radiography would cost as our standard fee, and it's a little bit above what we would charge for doing quick assessment tests, which in our practice is typically doing a NOVA venous blood gas. It has electrolytes, a BUN creatinine, a blood glucose, a packed cell total solids, and then we always add an ALT, an alanine aminotransferase test on all our trauma patients too, since it's a good marker for abdominal, intra-abdominal trauma. Going back to, I didn't fully answer your question as far as how we use these techniques. The VET Blue is really a fascinating technique that you can use for monitoring patients with respiratory disease after you get your thoracic radiographs. And we're not the only ones that have caught on to this. There's a paper by Dr. Pate and others that just came out in veterinary radiology and ultrasound that uses a different type of lung ultrasound approach than we do. Our vet blue is a regional approach that makes more sense in my mind when I look at radiographs. And they've made it a four-quadrant approach, but their upper left quadrant is really over the scapula of a dog. But they've caught on to this too, that we can use ultrasound to monitor heart fire patients, from it, for instance, and other patients with respiratory conditions by not bringing them back to radiology after we've established a diagnosis, but rather using the ultrasound probe as our visual or modern stethoscope. And it's been shown by the New England Journal of Medicine, as well as Volpicelli and others that published the lung ultrasound consensus statement in 2012, that lung ultrasound is really accurate, much more so than chest radiography for many conditions and people, as well as much more accurate than our stethoscope and than my guessing my breathing patterns. Fantastic. My last question is for clinicians who don't feel comfortable doing this, what's the best way that you think that clinicians can improve in their ability to do FAST, TFAST, or VetBlue? Well, I think the, the best thing is to get proper training, and we're trying to offer that more through our fastvet.com with having a San Antonio Academy. So we will have some dates here where veterinarians can fly down here and train. I'm also going to post on our website different venues where we're training throughout the year. It's pretty limited at this time, but certainly this is a fantastic technique that most veterinarians can learn, especially if they've been using the ultrasound probe a little bit and are familiar with how to handle the probe and how to maneuver the probe, that they can easily pick up on these techniques. And again, the 
the power of these techniques is doing it in a disciplined manner every single time, just like you do a physical exam, and then recording the results in goal-directed templates. We have those published. We'll have them on our website, and they're in the IVEX symposium proceedings the past few years. But I think that approach by remarking on what you see at those four points and then of AFAST as well as TFAST and then vet blue findings really add so much more value to what you're doing. Dr. Lissandro, thank you so much. You've been instrumental in bringing this to the field of veterinary medicine and definitely improved quality of care. So hopefully our vet girl subscribers and listeners will start implementing uh, this technique more frequently in their emergency patients and their ICU patients. Thank you so much for contributing to today's podcast. 